Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, and uh, you're hearing my voice again because once again, John is gone. He's uh, not on vacation this time. He is uh, actually doing work for once. He is uh, off at the Winter Sports Clinic and helping a lot of our veterans uh, learn how to do adaptive sports things in the snow. So good for him. That's uh, a very, very important thing that we do uh, here, here with the VA. Um, so I'm all alone for this episode again, and fortunately, we've got a really great topic to talk about here today. We're going to talk about something that a lot of people probably don't think that hospitals have, and we are going to be talking about our simulation lab here in our facility that we use to do a bunch of different things. And to tell us about all of those things in a little bit better detail, we have Dr. Eddie Avaloni. He is a clinician educator, and we have Quentin Hart. He is our simulation coordinator. Coordinator. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. It's been, uh, this is going to be, this is going to be a really interesting topic, I think. Thanks, Josh. Thank you, Joshua. Okay. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So, um, when you think about, you know, I was, I'm an Air Force veteran. So, being around the, the aviation community a lot, everybody knows about aviation pilot simulators, right? It's even software that you can buy at home with joysticks and everything, and you can fly fighter planes in your house. Um, they use it a little bit differently in, in, in the professional sense. Um, but to me, as a, as a layman, I would never think that a, a hospital would have a simulator. So for, for somebody like me that doesn't really understand um, what a, a simulation facility in a hospital is, g- give us a little bit of detail about uh, what that is, how we use it, kind of the, the basics of, of what this facility is for us. Well, to provide our, our, our patients and veterans the best possible care, we try to practice certain skills yeah absolutely certain things before we actually um attempt them on 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 a human being and not only do we take a look at individual skills but we also use simulation a lot to try to develop our team skills to work better together and to uh to be able to solve difficult problems in the most effective way so we use simulation both for individual skills like how to do an operation how to rescue someone in cardiac arrest but also to work best together for the best outcome. Yeah, and similar to a simulator that you may have seen in the Air Force, we have a lot of simulated patients that are mannequins that are in a simulated hospital room along with the kind of one-way glass where all of the simulation educators are observing the activity, jotting down notes, and later going to be providing direct feedback for the people participating in the simulation scenarios or if they are accomplishing a procedural task we can observe that as well okay so in 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 an airplane simulator you know they an airline pilot would use that as something to like practice emergencies and there's somebody in a room that goes okay now they click a button and now you have no engines right Mm -hmm. and it it causes all these things to fail is that kind of the this a similar thing you mentioned there's lots of mannequins and things you can do yeah so is there somebody that sits in a basically in a control room and basically goes okay patient's fine and then hits a button and now they're not fine you're absolutely right now that that's where Quentin jumps in. He usually is the guy that 
pushes the button for turning the engines off and for our if we're going to use the uh that analogy our jumbo jet is our patient and our engines off is their heart so we would design a scenario where the team would be encountering what to us is engine loss which would be a cardiac arrest Okay, and, and how do you come up with those scenarios then? Like, is is there something that's uh, uh, like there's an instruction manual that comes with the sim lab, uh, or is it stuff that you design? We take a look at what's going on. Yeah, and Dr. Avaloni brings up cardiac arrest that happens. Um, when we when we see that need to do some training, what we'll do is we will gather experts in their subjects. Um, certainly, physicians are going to be very aware of what to do in cardiac arrest situations. So we'll kind of design what, we, what happens in real life and try to mimic that with either a person or, or a mannequin. And then think about, from our experts, what would we expect someone to do in that situation? And we kind of look at what they really do and what we expect them to do and try to talk about how they came to their decisions. Okay, and so when when you're devising those kinds of scenarios, how how much game planning, I guess, goes into into that? Do you do you come up with the scenario and then you just spring it on somebody? Is there a lot of testing to figure out? You know, ooh, they did something we didn't expect here. We'll have to alter things. How, how does that? Like, what goes into devising these scenarios? Yeah, quite a bit of pre-planning and trial runs. So I've been involved in simulation now for seven years, and we have to kind of through our clinical experience we have seen common scenarios and common actions learners would take so we try to anticipate those things and build them into the scenario and then we go in there and we practice ahead of time sometimes several times with several different folks to get different perspectives before we actually roll it out um to the staff for a learning exercise so that it's pretty well vetted by the time they're actually participating. And it sounds like it's a very collaborative effort between the participants mm -hmm. and the subject matter experts. Um, so so it, sound, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of teamwork involved here. Yeah, and teamwork is one of the things we really focus on because when we're encountering an emergency uh, in the hospital or in the simulation center, it's a very emotionally charged experience. Um, certainly for that, that patient and their family, as well as for all the people responding to that emergency. So the simulation center gives, gives us an opportunity to observe those behaviors and give folks feedback on how they're doing and how to manage those difficult um, experiences. Is this a capability that we have here that's that's uncommon in healthcare as a whole? Uh, you know, I've... I've only worked in one hospital, this one, but I've never really thought of something like this as something that you're going to see in every hospital here in town. So is, is this a unique capability that we have here or is this, is this common? It's fairly common among educational centers. So we are a burgeoning and growing educational center. Um, you won't find it at a smaller hospital. Um, and then at larger university systems and medical schools, simulation is becoming more and more common. So, yeah. I think, I think most hospitals are trying to implement it to some degree. We probably have a higher level than most, 
But every hospital is going to have some degree of simulation. It might just be what we call a task trainer, where it it allows you to practice the specific tasks. Uh, we build maybe a little bit higher in terms of integrating different teams together. But I think everyone's going to have a certain degree. We may be a little bit more ahead because the VA does spend a lot of uh, resources in research. We're a very, very large research organization, and we have that luxury. So who is the, I, I guess, the general audience for the simulation lab that we have here? And you, you mentioned we have many simulation uh, modalities that we can use. We have like a little mannequin that you can practice doing CPR on and you can take that anywhere, right? Um, but for the simulation lab, who is that geared towards the most? Is that geared towards nurses, people with experience, doctors, everybody? Is there a, a, a general population that uses it more than, than others? Historically, um, it has been primarily used by nursing. It's not designed that way, it's just that's what it was. Mm -hmm. um, we have been trying very diligently to try to bring in more disciplines within simulation. As Dr. Avalon has pointed out, no, no issue, no patient issue is ever going to be a singular practitioner's issue. Doctors don't work in silos, nurses don't work in silos, social workers don't work in silos, dentists don't work in silos. They're all interacting with each other so uh, what Dr. Avaloni and I have tried to do over the last year is to bring in um, residents and more physicians within the simulation center to broaden the outreach. We would like to see it even broadened farther. We have everyone who works here to some degree interacts with veterans and can have an issue, um, can improve their, their customer service, can improve reaction to emergencies. And we wanted to give them the best opportunity to practice that before something happens in real life. So our social, a social worker, for mm -hmm. instance, could have an interaction with a veteran and say, you know, that may have been able to go better. Yeah. They can come to you and say, hey, I had this scenario happen. And then they can work with you basically to develop a, a training syllabus to mm -hmm. uh, a, and then expose other social workers to that is, is yeah. basically that's how that works absolutely that's the beauty of simulation is that we not only can use our resources to practice for like acute medical issues but also challenging patient encounters um, or challenging patient, family, and team encounters. Like we can design common events that any person practicing in this hospital um, wouldn't would encounter, and then coach them through it. You know, uh, right now, nationally, almost seventy percent of doctors in this country that are currently practicing medicine, seventy percent of them had have had a VA experience. The VA is such a deep and valuable educational resource for our physicians nationwide, and simulation only augments that. You know, talking about lessons learned, um, obviously we're two years into, into COVID now. Um, how has COVID impacted how you approach business in that sim lab? Is, has there been a lot of things that we've seen up in our wards and, and from dealing with people and what have you um, that's then now been incorporated into a lot of the training that we do? Sure. 
Uh, just how we approach simulation has changed. We realize we can't have large groups of people close together. And how do we deliver the same, uh, the same experience um, that they, they still need? We've been using more audiovisual techniques. We've been doing more recordings, which allow us to repeat um, and give people a similar experience of simulation. Mm -hmm. They can see what's going on in the video, see what they like, what they, what they think they should do differently, and still get a very similar experience to sim. Yeah. And also, the disease process is very unique and how to simulate donning and doffing of PPE. Um, how do you treat someone who is potentially infectious if they have some sort of distress? We we have to build in those our new our new normal into simulation. Yeah, because you've got to you've got to practice how you play, right? Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, absolutely, and that's been so helpful as our hospital procedures have evolved with the pandemic. We've been able to take what we've learned in the hospital, practice it in simulation, and then return that to the hospital. Um, so that's been really helpful to see that real-time process in action. It's very fascinating to see how this all kind of ties together and, and, and makes for better patient care, isn't it? So, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a quick break. Um, and then we come, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of your, your personal experiences in the Sim Labs and kind of the things that, uh, that, that draw you to simulation. So right. we'll be right back. Perfect. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Watch out! You got me! The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence. Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. 
Welcome back to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, joined here today talking about our simulation lab by Dr. Eddie Avalone. He's a clinician educator and Quentin Hart, our simulation coordinator. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. So tell me a little bit, this is obviously something that both of you have a lot of, of passion for, I can tell. Um, how did you both get interested in the simulation side of healthcare? Well, uh, I guess I'll take, take this one down. Uh, when I graduated residency and was doing my chief residency, my program director and mentor kind of came to me and said, hey, Eddie, uh, I think we could really, as the internal medicine residency program, I want us running these codes in the hospital, at the hospital I trained at, which was traditionally run by the cardiology fellows. And she's like, I need you to, you know, do this for me. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be a big task. And over that course of my chief year, we designed a simulation curriculum for all of the medicine residents, mm. implemented it actually in our local VA, which was where the simulation lab was available and helpful. And we completely changed the culture of our hospital, um, augmented by simulation practice at the VA. And then during my early years in my career, the medical school that was adjoined there wanted to integrate more and more simulation as part of the graduating medical students curriculum, which um, I was helpful and kind of right place, right time to be able to design that curriculum and deliver it for a number of years before moving out here about a year and a half ago. Okay. And Quentin, you said you've been working on this for quite some time also, correct? Um, 40 years. <laughs> 40 years is a long time. Uh, so I started in the airline industry. Okay. And I was never a flight attendant, but um, during strikes, they were always threatening they may have to put us on the aircraft. So I practiced jumping out of different aircrafts into a big pool in Dallas so we got to practice um similar like the pilots do we were given emergency situations given our teams what would you do if and so i was inflating rafts falling into the ocean on 737 757s 747s uh so it started early um with the va um uh, when i went into nursing here uh, about 15 years ago um, I was asked if I wanted to be an American Heart Association instructor. The American Heart Association provides training, uh, basic training on CPR, advanced training, and then specialized training like pediatrics. And uh, just f fitting into that, learning how to do more um, basically cardiac type things with the AHA kind of slid me into my current position. Okay. Um so everybody here is busy, right? There's, there's, there's not a healthcare facility in America where people are just like, ah, I've got time to, to hang out. And, you know, you're always busy seeing patients. With everybody so busy here, where do you find time to run people through simulations and to do training when they're so busy with doing real patient work? A lot of planning. <laughs> a lot, a lot of planning. Um, and some salesmanship. Some salesmanship, yes. And I think it's 
very helpful when we show how we've used our simulation experiences to uh, circle back and kind of show how they are able to benefit patients and benefit the team. When we do that, when we've got a nice tight loop like that, that's super helpful and I think we do get more support. Um, and I think our the perception of us is that, hey, we are trying to really practice like we play. So what are, what are some of those scenarios that you use to sell people on, right? Like, like what's, a, what's a, a, a simulation success that you would tell somebody about? Yeah. Um, so one of our favorite simulations to employ would be showing up to a code blue where a patient has lost a pulse and an emergency is called in the hospital. The team runs down, and we want to see a quick, seamless transition from response, recognition, and, and intervention. And I think when we look at all of these events in the hospital, that data is recorded. And when we reflect back on how we've done over the last six months, we can see that we're running into more shockable rhythms, which are the ones that we really relish because those are the patients that we can really save. Um, we're also seeing much more collaboration between all members of the team at the codes, and I think that's a direct consequence of practicing in the sim lab. And, and that's not exactly a scenario that you can train for with a live, a live person, right? You can you can walk down the hall and have a, a an a, an exercise actor fall down and simulate that they've lost their pulse, but then that kind of deprives you of the opportunity to go through that full opportunity of putting paddles on somebody and discharging, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so what are some of the, is that, would that be one of the gaps, I guess, that are getting, getting filled in between what people are experiencing every day here at the hospital, but then skills that they need to have? We try to identify the high acuity, low frequency things that we come, we come across. And certainly cardiac arrest is one of them, sepsis, infectious states is one of them as well, where you don't see it very often, but when it happens, you have to make quick decisions to save that person's life. And we like to take a look at it and draw it back out of that emergent situation and let all the participants kind of uh, work together, learn what they need to do, use their, their, use their equipment, in a in kind of a non-stressful way and then we put it together get it closer and closer to reality so when it does happen that that odd two o'clock in the morning on a saturday in the er they're prepared for it so we try to break down that emergent event into its component parts and address each of those component parts so they can put it back together when they need it do you ever practice scenarios that you know a, a cardiac arrest is a relatively common thing just in the medical world, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you ever practice any scenarios that are ex like, hey, you may only see this once every five years just to expose somebody yeah, to that? Uh, and what kind of things would, would that be? Uh, malignant hyperthermia comes to mind. Certain people react poorly to the gases given in OR. They can become very um, overheated. And if, if people don't recognize those signs and symptoms, which are unique to that disease, 
and treat them right away, it's going to have a very poor outcome. They're likely to go in cardiac arrest. So that's very rare. I don't think we've actually had a case of malignant hyperthermia here, but it's possible. Um, so the OR practices that regularly. So should it happen, we'll, have that, we'll give that patient the best chance of a good outcome. So uh, we try to identify those, those rare things that are just disastrous if it happens and it happens poorly and try to try to avoid that. Because you, you've got to have experience in some of these things, you know, even just a little bit to, to fall back on that training, right? Sure. Yeah. And I'll be a part of that, but I am not a malignant hyperthermia subject matter expert. Those are generally anesthesiologists. So we give them the task of setting up a simulation and determining what they expect people to do. What's the right way to handle this? And so... I allow them to, to get all the people together, use the equipment, use the simulated patients, but they're leading and debriefing on what they expect the people to do. So when you're trying to find subject matter experts for, to, to come up with new training, is it, is it they come to you? Do you have to approach them or is it kind of a mix of the two? I'd say it's a bit of a mix of the two. Um, at least within the inpatient world, we've got good collaboration between the cardiologist and the pulmonologist, anesthesia, so that if Quentin and I are working on a scenario and we need a little bit of input from someone with a little bit greater knowledge than me, we can go to them. Or if we're designing a case where a vet comes into the ER with a life-threatening infection on their foot, we can go to wound care and help have them help us design a, a uh, that that type of wound, and then physically kind of implement it on the mannequin, which then the learner would go and recognize. So, okay, yeah, interesting. And I think the reason why we're here and so excited about the podcast is also to let folks know that we're available if um, you have something that you see as an issue. We talk about patient suicide. It's a very difficult thing for some of our practitioners to know how to approach someone who's potentially contemplating suicide. If they come and say, hey, help us, maybe do a sim that makes our folks give them, give them a little opportunity to practice those skills, it's going to make it less, uh, less stressful when it happens. So we are open to folks. We, we reach out as we see things that need to be done, but we, we don't mind when people reach out to us and say, how can we how can we utilize your services? And I would imagine for the both of you, it's a little bit difficult to keep an eye on what's going on in the hospital because you have your part of the job that you're focused on. You're not seeing patients every day. So you don't you don't know necessarily what's going on unless you're reading reports or, or things like that. No. You know, you kind of it seems like you would kind of rely on people coming to you and say, I had this happen. Let's let's fix this. Yeah. I kind of have my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the inpatient practice because I'm there every day. Um, and I am engaged with what's going on when I'm not there, um, which is helpful for us to kind of identify our knowledge gaps as an institution, design scenarios to correct them. Uh, and the, you know, the nice part about this is like when we have something that we want to design a scenario around, simulation helps us put each piece of the case that can feel very quick and 
real life. And we can break it down into little aliquots of learning objectives, deliver that piece of content, take a break, process emotions, feelings, and ideas, jump back into the simulation encounter, or reset it if things went really poorly, and take it from the top um, as just added practice for the folks participating in these events. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. That's mm -hmm. it's been very, very enlightening as to a lot what fun. goes on here here in the hospital behind the scenes, and it's probably something that people didn't have uh, didn't have much of an idea of of the kind of training that goes into providing the healthcare that we provide veterans here. So, thank you, gentlemen, very much for your time today. This has been, uh, like I said, this has been a wonderful topic to talk about. So, um, thank you for your time and, and your knowledge and, and being willing to come up here and talk about this. Of so, course, thank you for thank having you, us. No problem. So. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you found this, this topic very uh, as interesting and enlightening as I did, and we will see you in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>